Uh, my name is David Haley and welcome to the next episode of Count It Up. We are so glad to be back. This is actually one of our first in-person uh, podcasts that we've done in a while, thanks to the pandemic. So we are so glad to be back. Our, our esteemed guest today is uh, George Parker from Paraguay. How you doing, George? Doing good. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. No problem at all. As we know, Count It Up is where we talk about innovation, entrepreneurship and the sexiest topic of all, inventory and asset management. And so George is gonna, uh, we're gonna go back and forth and get an understanding of uh, some of his, his, his overall entrepreneur journey, um, what he does, what he likes to do, and a little bit more about Peregrine. And so thank you again for, for coming. So let us know kind of where you're from and uh, how you ended up in Atlanta, because you are in Atlanta now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I am, um, grew up in a military family. And so I was originally born in Virginia, lived in Alaska for a while, and then ended up in Warner Robins, which is about 90 minutes south of Atlanta. And so just to make things simple, I say I'm from Warner Robins, Georgia. Right. I keep it simple like that. I understand that. Yeah. And then, um, so grew up in Georgia that way, went to university at Georgia Tech. And then after Georgia Tech, spent a couple years working in uh, business consulting and then actually in private equity, spent a couple years working on Wall Street up in New York, and then uh, went to business school up in Chicago at Northwestern University, where I discovered marketing. Mm-hmm. Thought it was a really fun, interesting discipline, and so spent a couple years working at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio. I said, this is way too cold. <laughs> way too cold in Chicago, too cold in Cincinnati. I said, I want to get back to Georgia, which is where my wife's family is from, my family was from, and so we had a chance to come and work at Coca-Cola in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Georgia, and so that gave me a chance to come back and settle back in my home city. Very cool, man. Very cool. What are some of your things, when you think about all those experiences, I mean, it's a pretty big company, like P&G, Coca-Cola, some very big names. Uh, how did that influence you and kind of your overall entrepreneur journey, which we'll get into in a second? Yeah. Wow. That's... um. Yeah, that's a really good question because you think about it, it'd be the exact opposite of ever ending up as an entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> uh, of course, I have to say, my wife also went to Georgia Tech and she was an industrial engineer. So when you say the sexiest topic is inventory and supply chain, I'm like, yeah. Is this we true? Talk about, yeah, exactly. we talk about Gantt charts and supply chain, and so it all works out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I don't know how I ended up as an entrepreneur. It definitely wasn't the career path I thought I would go do. Right. I thought that I would get an MBA and then work up to be a, a vice president or et cetera at a, at a big company, and that was the path that I was on. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I wasn't trying to start a company, and this was about, you know, it was about four years ago come Thanksgiving is when this all started. Um, throughout this weird ride that I've had, the common thread has always been running. Mm-hmm. I've always been a runner. Not a great runner, but I've always been been a runner. And as I got older, I had to pay a lot more attention to the things that I ate, how I took care of my body. And so I got to a point where I had a really good system, where I had a nice supplement routine, vitamins, supplements, um, you know, different things. But I was right. taking 10 different bottles, and it was just really complicated. So about four years ago now, right before Thanksgiving, I sat down and I said, you know what, I was a chemical engineer, so I used to mix things in the lab all the time. If I could sit down and design a multivitamin for what a runner needs, 
as opposed to the men's one a day, which is designed for just the mass population, what would look differently about it? Right. So I sat down, kind of wrote it out. Um, I need a little bit about what things can mix together, different sides of things, how big it will look, et cetera, and did that. And at the same time, I was working with a lot of these big companies, and I realized that a lot of times they're using contract manufacturers to bring their products to life, mm -hmm. especially new things before they wanted to invest in the the capital to actually build a product. They would go work with the contract manufacturer. And I was like, well, that's a contract manufacturer. That's just someone you say, hey, I have this, I have this product that I want to bring to the market. That's right. And can you help me manufacture or can you manufacture for me once I give you the ingredients and the Specifics. That's right. And so, in fact, one of the interesting things that's different between a company like Procter and Gamble and Coca-Cola, there's a lot of things different. Like, but one of them is how they bring things to the market. So, at P&G, a lot of the plants are owned by the company, and okay. so the plant actually owns the um, the company owns the plants that make the diapers, the detergent, the toothpaste, etc. My first job was actually working as an engineer on a diaper line. That's a fun story. Okay. Um, you made it more absorbent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. And um, But Coca-Cola's different is that it's a very acid-light company where they've gone through various phases, but the actual people that put things into the bottle are owned by independent bottlers, not affiliated with the big company that's in Atlanta. And so it's a very different model. And so if the company is trying to create a new water brand or a new dairy brand or whatever it is, they oftentimes don't have a plant to go make it. They're kind of like a little mini entrepreneur sitting in their basement. They have an idea, or in this case, a chemical formula on a piece of paper for a vitamin, and they go out there and find someone that has an existing plant, a vitamin manufacturer that have food scientists on staff that can say, yeah, I can make that for you. Um, and so that's what I did. So I found someone at Gourmet, I made 48 bottles, which was a two-year supply, and that was it. That was and at the time, you were just making this for yourself. Just for like, myself. This is, this is the vitamin. I 100%. know I'm not your average, your average man. I need something a little, yeah. more, a little more kick to it. That's right. I got 48 bottles, just a white bottle, just completely unlabeled. It looks, you know, people are like, oh, what's in that bottle? <laughs> right. And um, that was it. That was the plan. And it had a two-year shelf life, and so I had exactly a two-year supply. That's interesting. Um, and so uh, Peregrine was born. Peregrine was born at right. the time. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, I decided to put it on Amazon, and that's how it started. And so I put a product on Amazon, and about two weeks later, uh, a lady purchased it. And I was like, why would someone buy this product? Right. And she's still a customer today, so that's four years that's later. That's interesting. So I guess, I mean, that goes back to the overall entrepreneurial journey, too. Like, you, you found a problem. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm tired of taking all of these pills. All of, and so I know I'm, I have the, the brains and the, the knowledge in the sense to make a product. Or let me see. Actually, you didn't know, right? You said, let me see if I have the wherewithal to make a better product. Yeah. Because was, was, I'm sure it was trial and error. Right? Trial and error, yeah. And so, I mean, there was a couple of iterations where what I got back was not what I wanted at all. Mm -hmm. It was either too big or the color looked weird, or the, uh, the odor was off, or it didn't have the right mix of ingredients that I wanted. Um, yeah, so it took a few iterations. But I think what's interesting um, throughout all of it is that when I worked at big companies in marketing, one of the hardest things was 
you have to learn who your consumer is. Right. I mean, you have workshops and hours and all your business plan is about who are you selling to? Right. But what was different about Peregrunt was that I said, you know what? I'm the customer. Can I find another thousand people like me in this world? And turns out there are a thousand people that have similar needs as I wanted. And now we're at the point where it's like, okay, well, are there 10,000 people? And, you know, a couple of years later, we've sold almost 3 million. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. And so what was the, and I get this question all the time when you leave corporate America, you say, Hey, you have a, you, you have a great education. Now you went to you know, the, what you were supposed to do, you go, go to college and you got this great job, so to speak, and you got to leave that for a, a dream or a very risky, a very risky position. And so what was the one thing that made you leave corporate America to give Peregrine a, a shot full time? Yeah. Um, you know, my parents think I'm nuts. I saw them a couple so of weeks ago and my, my dad said to me, he's like, so you have a job yet? And I was like, oh, how do I answer that? I'm like, I'm pretty busy. Right. Um, you know, then what, what I think it was, was I could say that I had this dream to always want to work for myself or um, I wanted to have unlimited upside potential in my income. And I think maybe all those things are true. But I think what it was is I realized that I take my kids to school and I would drop them off at seven o'clock every day for kind of um, before school, mm -hmm. take the care. And then we got to the point where I was picking up at six or 6.30 every day. And they were now six, seven years old. And, and they would go to bed like at eight. And so I, I think I started realizing that we really only ever saw our kids for like two hours a day, if that. And that time wasn't really seeing them. It was, um, you know, Either trying to get to school, trying to get trying to, to get school, to bed, right? or dealing with stress, or right. dealing with work call, and and there was a time where work was even creep into those different type of moments too, and so for me that was always simmering in my head, and so when the pandemic started, and the company was going through a restructuring, and they were offering people severance packages to leave, it and they gave you like two weeks to decide. It took my wife and I like four hours. Well, we're like, let, let's. I have something here that could be, that is income generating. And so it can pay bills, not nearly as much what I made before, but maybe we didn't need that at the moment. And um, it's been amazing. Like now I take my kids to school at eight o'clock and I pick them up at 2.30. Right. And we do activities together and it's just been totally different, totally different. And I was talking to my wife the other day because a recruiter called about a, um, a really interesting job she's like you can't ever go back like our life is so much different now and we just never knew what it could look like because we've always been raised in a different way right. so there's so many so fingers crossed fingers crossed i'm sure you'll, you'll make it you'll, you you are making it we're you trying are making we're trying. It. you are making it so walk me through the process of um one kind of starting a business because i you know i went through this process as well just starting starting counterfeit you know, a lot of times you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, right? And so 
how do you under, make make sure that you understand who your customer is? Because now your customer is no longer George. Yeah. Right? So now you have thousands of other customers. How do you stay in tune with those customers yeah. to make sure you're, you're still delivering them a product that they need? Yeah, oh, that, that's a great question because you're right. Um, eventually it changes. And um, thankfully for the world, there's not many people like me out there. There's a few, but then there's much better people. And so eventually you got to find them. Um, I, because I have a marketing background, and it was always honed into me this idea of consumer research. I try to do that a lot. Um, and so I will reach out to customers that are subscribing, say members, just kind of talk to them like, hey, how did you find the product? What do you think about the product? Um, you know, any feedback? Who do you like it? I mean, how did you discover it? And I try to mine information like that. Um, I also, when people leave me, so they leave, they unsubscribe or um, they cancel, subscribe, and say, but I try to talk to them as well, just to understand what might be going on. Um, but what I've discovered is that by talking with my customers, I oftentimes realize that I learned how they discovered the product. And I'll tell you a great story. When I first created the product, in my mind, the core feature of it was this idea that it was a multivitamin and a probiotic. And that was really unique. And I wanted that to be central to the concept because I always have gut health issues. And so I needed to take a probiotic. And my thought was that having a strong gut can help absorb things better. And so to me, the key selling point about the vitamin that I talked all about for the first year was it's a combination multivitamin probiotic. Eventually, when I started talking to consumers, no one said that. No one talked about the probiotic. Instead, what they talked about was the energy component of it. The fact that it was a concentrated vitamin B, it had all 12-ish vitamin Bs, whereas most vitamins only have one or two. And that was their key focus. And I was like, that's really interesting. And so now when you look at my communications, a lot of it is centered on that fact, um, which is totally different than what I initially thought. That's cool. That's, that's Yeah, because you have to really understand what your customer wants, right? Yeah. Then you no longer have a product. Well, you yeah. have a product, but you know how you don't have a market. Yeah. Um, we kind of went through the same thing when we first started to start Countify. You know, we were a mobile application, like a mobile app. We said everybody has has a phone, and we were targeted strictly to airlines. Um, and the more and more we started understanding our customer journey and what they need, and like we don't necessarily want, we don't necessarily need an app in all applications. We don't want the customer or our workers, our, our staff to be a part of taking these pictures or recording the inventory. So now we actually have implemented a hardware device. So we have hardware cameras now that we install in hospitals and still install with, with airlines. So the customer doesn't have to do a thing, actually. They don't have to pull the phone out of their pocket. Oh, wow. They just have to put the, the inventory they want to count underneath the camera. Or in, in, the, airline, in the airline situation, they put it underneath the camera, take a picture of it, and we give, give them all the details of that image. In our hospital uh, platform, there's just a camera that's on the wall, and we take pictures automatically. So the employees don't have to do a thing. So how did you figure that out? Did the employees tell you that um, that they like taking pictures? Yeah, they said we want a a simple, uh, a easier device to use. Um, and you know, even the, and I thought we were thinking like you always have a phone. Everybody has a phone. So yeah. A mobile app is the easiest way to go, right? Yeah, because you're like, oh, well. 
we'll give you something. You just pull it out, hit hit the app, and then you know just take a picture on exactly. your phone. Exactly. From a from the airline perspective, it was more like, hey, we have very busy. If you ever been to it in an airline kitchen, the kitchens are very chaotic. It's like organized chaos, right? Very busy, multiple levels of workers. So they said a lot of times our workers don't have a phone. We don't allow phones on the floor, right? Oh. And so we need a, a platform that allow them just to take a picture and keep going, right? You have you have all of these air, the flights that come out. You might have a hundred or two hundred uh, carts or trays with with inventory in them. Yeah. We just need a platform that's very like an assembly line, very very easy for them to take a picture of it and keep moving. Yeah. That's what we did. And in the, in the hospital situation, it's more like nurses and doctors and other staff are just busy. Yeah. They, don't, they don't want to deal with this inventory. They want to go get the inventory they need and take it to the next surgery or take it to the next patient. Yeah. I don't want to pull up, pull my phone out and have to do anything at all. So that that platform is very has been very eye opening as well. But it goes back to your point of understanding your customer. Yeah. Right? Talking to your customer, like what do you need? What what's working? What doesn't work? Because that's that's the biggest that to me that's the biggest insight from a successful business. Especially starting off, like yeah. you have to understand what your customer needs and wants and what they're willing to pay for. Yeah. You know what's cool about that story is um, you know, you can see a scenario when you try to go and sell a a cool inventory accounting solution like you have. And yet, and then you can compare it with someone who's selling the same solution but who has done the work to understand. Like, for instance, I never knew how chaotic, like just the simple insight that most people don't even have a phone in the kitchen because, like, if you don't know that, your sales message, you're like, why is it not sticking? Um, My wife works at a company that um, does, uh, she used to work at a company that did kind of, um, well, IE work for Mm -hmm. hospitals about the flow of patients through a hospital, surgical flow, uh, flow of patients through an operating room. And the first step they always did was what you're talking about around shadowing. Mm-hmm. And so they would say, hey, let us just shadow your team for a while and you can observe these things and figure it out, which is cool. Yeah, no, and, and that's what, one thing is kind of what made the pandemic so hard, right? Because now you're not uh, in front of your customers anymore. Right? Yeah. And you can set up a Zoom call where you are, I'm at my desk and I'm telling you about what our platform is or if I am the potential client, I'm yeah. telling you what we do. But if I can't visit, physically go visit and watch for myself, my team can't go watch. Yeah. Then it's not. It's just not the same, right? Yeah. And you don't get all those insights of things that just might happen or might happen that day that yeah. might not happen any other day or things that they do that they don't even realize they do. Yeah. Right. And so I think the pandemic is hard. So I'm glad we're coming on the other side. Even this podcast, right? Yeah. It was all we would be. Yeah. It's, hard. it's room totally different. Um, um, what's also interesting is that. The insight that you walk away from the customers was this idea that they wanted something simpler. And you're like, oh, it's an app. And they're like, no, that's not it. It's not like they told you, hey, let's go install a camera up in the corner of the hospital. How did you how did you how did you figure out that that would be a better solution than an app? Because we had it really just understanding the customer, doing those shadows, yeah. doing those walkthroughs. What we try to do is, first of all, and do interviews of all of our potential staff, right? Um, of, of the client staff. Just sit down in a room and say, walk me through what you do. Walk me through your, your daily process. And then we will go and take tours of, of the facility, right? And once we do that, we sit, for the hospital situation, it's like anywhere else, 
you know, there's storerooms where you have things stored. Um, and, and it's like, instead of, as we go into the storeroom or look at the process of just pulling inventory out, like, well, no one wants to, no one has time to, they're always running in or running out. No one necessarily has time to write on a clipboard, hey, I removed XYZ inventory, or tell the person, yeah. the person in the supply chain, hey, can you order this this part because we're using four or five of them. Um, and so it was it was almost like a no-brainer once we started. We thought about, oh, hey, I wonder if we can just install a camera, take pictures four or five times a day, yeah, and let them know, like, here is the inventory you have, right? The next thing is, you know, once you have that data, you can analyze it and say, all right, what happened in the last 30 days or 60 days? Yeah. Once you know what happened in the last 60 days, now we know what, what trends you're in or what velocity you're using the inventory at. And then it, it helps with forecasting. And yeah. you see you've only used five of these in the last 60 days, so why are you ordering 20? Yeah. Right? It doesn't make sense based on, unless there's some anomaly that's gonna happen in the next, in, you know, in the next month, but based on past history, and we know you only use four to five days a month. Yeah. So you that you should be consistent with that order. That's so interesting. So um, a similar story to that, when I was working at Procter & Gamble selling toothpaste, mm -hmm. of all things, and one of the challenging things about toothpaste is that it's such a high-velocity category. There's mm -hmm. just so much toothpaste that just rips off the shelf. Right. And the biggest loss of sales wasn't, competition or not having the price right, it was out of stocks. And the problem is, is that we would send inventory to a distribution center like Walmart, and then Walmart would break that distribution, I mean, that inventory down and send it to the stores, so the individual stores now where we shop at, and it would get stored in the back room. But because the velocity is so high, you could feasibly have the store stocked, the shelf stocked in the morning, and it's gone a couple hours later. But someone's not going to the shelf because they don't know it's out, and they're just going through a normal rotation. And so a lot of it, this was before any of those, I wonder if they now use some sort of visual technology because if you don't know things are out of stock, you don't know to go and just put the product back on the shelf because we could say, hey, the product's there. It's sitting in the back room. Um, but if you don't know, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know, and, and you miss that sale, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with that from a customer perspective now? From your from, from your inventory, I'm assuming you don't still have a garage full of vitamins or supplements, okay. right? So how do you manage your inventory, making sure you get it to the customer when the customer requests it? Yeah, probably not great, actually. <laughs> um, and so I have two channels for my business today. I would hopefully like to create a third channel, which would be kind of more traditional retail stores in the next year. But right now my channels are online channels. Mm -hmm. And so Amazon's a part of the business, as well as my own Shopify store. So the Amazon is probably the more interesting part of the puzzle because they are they have been a great business partner. Nothing but great things to say about Amazon. And one of the things they're really good at is that they handle my fulfillment and distribution. And so the way that works is I have gathered large enough where I send all my products, pallets of product, to one central location, and it's on the East Coast. And then they have now learned the business enough to say, okay, I'm going to break up this big pallet, and I'm going to send specific units to 10, 20, 30 or so different fulfillment centers across the country. And what's great about that is 
is someone orders my product in San Diego, it doesn't ship from Atlanta, Georgia, it ships from whatever the closest fulfillment center is, and it gets there the same day. And so customers are like, wow, they have amazing service. I'm like, yes, thank you. It's really <laughs> Amazon. Right. Um, but what's hard about it is that I know how much I ship to one center, and Amazon lets me know from a dashboard how much product I have out there. But to understand at a granular level, the different fulfillment centers is really hard to go do. And also the number fluctuates a lot because what is it based upon? Is it based upon they know what they receive from me and they know my sales and so it's a simple math equation, but things are in transit, there could be lost, damaged, theft. All that gets reconciled eventually. Um, but sometimes things go out of stock and I maybe miss a day or two of sales, um, which is real money when right. you're a small company. Right. And it's hard because I don't have, um, I do have some inventory that I keep at my personal office as well as um, a little uh, fulfillment center. And I can count that. Right. I can go, I can go see, and I can see if it's about to run out, I can do something about it. But otherwise I'm relying upon data from Amazon and Although I think they're they're doing the best they can, sometimes it's hard. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you're right though, and you do not want to miss, you don't want to miss any opportunity. I don't want to miss one cent of right. digital revenue, right? right. And, and the reason for that is maybe it was a subscribe the same order that I just lost. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, that's someone that typically would stay for 12 months and I just gave them a horrible experience. And that to me is worth, that loss to me is worth so much more than the right. lost sale. Right. Because I don't want any of my runners to not have the product they need to get the energy to get them the health recovery they wanted to. If it's not there, then that's you know, it's not like they can buy another flavor of toothpaste. Like right. they're done. They have to go get something else. And that's um we used to I was always trained growing up in marketing at PG and Coke that never give your customers a reason to leave your brand. Mm -hmm. And for me, the biggest reason to leave the brand that I can't control well is my product not being available. Right. Right. Is, are there other challenges? I mean, inventory obviously is a, is a lot of, and we see it all the time, even with companies you think are ran very well, right? You think, you look at that company, even large companies. I remember when I was at ENY and I was an, an auditor at ENY, we would go to these huge companies. That's a and hard job, auditing like inventory for big companies. Yeah, exactly. it, was, it was, I was the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the They're like, oh, David's here again. Yeah. But you see all these big companies and you, you think they have it have it all together and then you peel back an onion or look at their yeah. their, their balance sheet and P&L and say, hey, this is not together at all. Like yeah. they, are, they, they got it all together with duct tape and bubble gum, right? Yeah. Um, and so from a from a smaller company perspective, inventory is an issue. How do you, from, a, from the product, how do you make sure that your customer still wants the, the product. And I talk about that as like the actual the actual makeup of your vitamins. Do you change the recipe at all or what they receive is kind of the original recipe? Yeah, oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so yes, things have changed over time and I can give two stories that maybe help answer the question. So the first one I briefly mentioned, which is when I first started, um, so the first one is about not a change to the vitamin, but the change of how I talked about the vitamin. And as I mentioned, when I first started, it was just a, a generic white medicine bottle. And then I created a label. 
but that label wasn't based upon anything more than just this is what I think it should be. But the feedback that I started getting from customers, as I mentioned earlier, was around highlighting other benefits than what I was highlighting. And so the first iterations of the product was changing the kind of the priority of communication about what it is. And so the look and feel completely changed based upon what customers were saying in reviews. So what's good about my business is that um, we have 410 Amazon reviews. And so there's a lot of rich data in there about what people think about the product. Uh, and I read them all. And there was a time until about a year ago where you could reply to them and reply to every single one of them. Be like, hey, thank you, or I'm sorry, whatever it was. Um, but there's so much rich content in what people are willing to say about your products. And so that helped me realize what they were prioritizing. That was probably the first one. The second one was, um, actually I have two, two more stories. The second one was, people kept asking me, hey, is this product gluten-free? I was like, well, that's an interesting question. Why would they ask that? And um, it wasn't gluten-free because there was a small amount of gluten in it. Not a lot, but doesn't take a lot for someone who has an intolerance to gluten. Um, and that got me down the path of one of the big reasons that gummies are taking off, aside from that they're chewable and they're fun and they're, you know, you can, they taste great, is um, they're gluten-free. That's one of the big things. And so we created a pretty good, successful second line of business around gummies based upon calls to the customer service center, uh, emails saying, hey, is your product gluten? And me saying, why would, I could have just been like, no. Right. That was the end of it. But I was trying to figure out why would these runners take the time to ask about that? Um, and could I do something about it? And the third one was um, one of the things that I discovered was there was a lot of runners in my community that um, were, I like to call them not necessarily vegan, but they were um, vegan uh, friendly. Vegan friendly, right? And so, uh, they, not their entire lifestyle was vegan, but it was nice to make a choice that was a vegan choice because it's a good foundation to start your day. And people were asking me about what was the vitamin vegan, is it vegetarian friendly? And at the time, um, it wasn't. There was one small ingredient that actually came from beeswax. And because it came from bees, it wasn't considered vegan. Uh, and so the first product change that I made was about two years ago where we reformulated that common ingredient, uh, put something else in there, made it vegan compliant. And that was really good for the business. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you still go back and listen to your customer. Yeah. I think that's the number one thing. And because we, we see that a lot too, where and I think sometimes we go down the rabbit hole of comparing ourselves to our competition. Yeah. It's like, what is our competition doing? What are they doing? But we had to step back and realize that's not, we have to be competition aware, but we have to be customer focused, right? And so if you're constantly co focused on your customer, what they need, what's good, what's bad, what they care about, why they are using you and why they're not using you, I think you have to have, I mean, you have to be successful, right? Because yeah. you, you know, and, and you are very, you're very sensitive yeah. to the, that feedback as well. I love that because um, it's so easy to watch your competition, All time. right? Yeah. And, and maybe that's why everybody does it because it's easy to do. You can see what they're doing. They have some new promotion or there's some new, like, maybe they need to go do that. But what was the reason why they did that? Because maybe they made an app when they should have made a camera that went on the wall, right? And you wouldn't know that 
if you're only seeing it secondhand. Exactly. So I, I was actually reading a, a pod, I mean, a blog post from, from David Cummings, uh, the entrepreneur in Atlanta. I used to work with his brother Did you when, know? I, when I was at Bain. Yeah, okay. we started together with his brother. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, one of my good friends from university um, was his roommate, and now they're partners together at the, the Atlanta DC place. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I know a couple of those guys. A.T. Gimble is his name. Gimble, yep, yeah, I yeah. know A.T. as well. Um, and David is a, a Duke alum as well. So oh, okay. From, from there, but he, he's, one of the things that he said was just that, like, you have to focus on your customer, Being a, be aware of your uh, competition, but focus on your customer. Because if you think about the customers are constantly, I mean, your competition is constantly posting, telling you what they're doing, telling you their latest their latest product features, or yeah. posting on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever they post, but your customers is not out here telling that this vendor did this bad and we had to fire them. Yeah. Or what we like about this product is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So it's only by understanding your customer, getting having those conversations that you can, I think, get further along in your, in your product development and your, your company. He said, that's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, but the more I talk to you, I feel like I could do even more now. Like hearing some of your stories where, I mean, you're like in there, in there. I feel like I could do even more. And maybe there's even more richer insights that I can put together. I'm sure, man. I'm sure. I mean, because especially you're, you're B2C, right? So yeah. you're, you're direct to your customers. I think feedback from, feedback from Amazon is great. But you also, you post on Facebook on a regular basis, yeah. right? You, and so those comments are also your customers, or or what are do they, or what supplement do they not have that they wish they did? Yeah. Right. Or there's something that they're missing in that in that overall supplement profile. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to just the guessing, I can get the feedback right there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, another point when you asked me earlier on about um, leaving corporate America and coming to go do this, one of the things that I think is interesting is when you're in corporate America, eventually you pick a niche. Mm-hmm and you become like the customer service guy or the person who's really good in customer feedback. And so you can listen to a podcast like this and be like, well, yeah, yeah. of course you should be doing things on Facebook. Right. And I'm like, yes, yeah. right? If that's all you do, then yes, you get really deep in that area. But one of the hardest things about this journey is, I know I should do that and I should do more of that, but I could go have a conversation now with an accounting podcast and they'd be like, hey, you know, What's your tax strategy right exactly. now? I'm like, well, I got things to go do there too. Exactly. And it's just this never longing list of prioritizing and executing. Um, but to your point, and, and you still have a company to run too. It's a company to run too, right? Like it's just basic stuff. Um, but I think at the end of the day, no matter how long that list is, having customer centric things being towards the top is probably important. I agree. I agree. Oh man, you so much insight. Oh, you know, so much insight. All these nuggets. Um, so finally, I'm gonna ask you this last question. What What do you wish? Now, now you've been running, running Peg Run for a while now. What do you wish that you knew two years ago, three years ago, that you didn't that you know now and that you're fully aware? Of? What did I wish that I knew now? Um, hmm. or, or you could look back at George. Three years ago, I said, George, do this. Yeah. You know, I think um, I think I always was really nervous in the beginning, and I always felt maybe like I would be a poser if I was talking about stuff when it came to running or nutrition because I'm not an Olympian. Um, 
you know, I'm not the fastest person in the world. But I think what I've learned over time is that you can add value to a lot of people and not necessarily have to be the greatest in the world at it, right? And I think about the years that I wasted just doing things to market the business that my wife used to say, well, you're just scared to go out there and actually go sell or market, right? And so you'll sell online or you'll send out a postcard to someone. Like they're very passive ways to generate awareness. But what I've realized now recently is, um, you know, we have our Instagram account at Paragrun mm-hmm. and I've just been talking a lot more. And I get a lot of great feedback back from runners and from other people on awareness because they're like, yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. You've been doing this for 10 years or so. Um, wow, you were a chemical engineer and you formulated something based upon what you read and what you put together. That's useful. Thank you for sharing it with me. And I just think, where can I be now if I wasn't so afraid to just not be not be afraid to say I have yeah. something that I want to tell the world? Um, and I think that's I think a lot of people are scared to even talk about anything. And you might be maybe there's more people out there that are interested than you think, and maybe you can help someone. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I think confidence, having confidence that you know what you're talking about. And, and you might not be 100% correct, right? Yeah. Because, like, but it's, it's more about, I have this experience. Based on this experience, I'm trying to share with whoever. Yeah. Right? And, and I think a lot of people call it imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like you, you're scared that people are going to say, you don't really know what you're talking about. Or who are you to make a supplement? Or who are you to start a company? Yeah. And you're like, well, I am George or I am David and I can right. do it. Right? I think it's that's well, part of it. I think of your story, like when I first met you, you were saying how one of your first customers was Delta because mm-hmm. you used to work there. And I'm like, that's bold to like create a company to say, hey, you know what? Let me actually have you as my first customer. I, I and I'm like, that. maybe I could have done that at some point, but I never did. And now, um, that's great. It's not too late. Yeah, that's not too late. Yeah. <laughs> and every day I gain more confidence. Um, you know, like I said, I never thought that I would go do something like this. And every day is just uh, confidence building to go do something. But I agree. I yeah, agree. so right. there are a lot of people out there. You don't always have to be extroverted and confident. There's ways you can do things. This might take you longer. That's very true. That's very true, man. That's that is a great um, a great way I think to close close this session. We've been a great uh, a a great not host because I'm the host you have been <laughs> you, you've been a, a great interview subject truthfully and I want everyone to go out and how can they find Peregrine and, and George George yeah. Parker out here in the world you can find us on social media at Peregrine on our Instagram can you spell that P-E-R-E-G-R-U-N-E at Instagram uh, on Facebook we also have a YouTube channel and get some of our long form content and the website is just paragrun.com. Um, thanks, George. This has been great, man. I thanks really appreciate. Having. I really appreciate your time. Enjoy. I would like to thank all of our 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 guests and listening, tuning into the podcast. We're back up and running now. We're doing more face to face face to face interviews. So, so thank you very much. Again, this is Counted Up. I'm David Haley, and thank you for tuning in. And this is where we discuss entrepreneurship, innovation, and the sexiest topic of all: inventory and asset management. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.